everybody, and welcome to Take a Knee for this week's installment. I'm really excited, and I hope you've enjoyed some of the interviews that we have done. And I just want to encourage you again to please pass it around. Let people know about Take a Knee. And we're actually have just crossed 70. I believe today would be the 71st installment of Take a Knee and our podcast. So pretty exciting. This is season five and I think week three. I want to begin today to tell you a story that will lead into really what I want to share with you today. I want to begin with sharing a story when I was a young man. And I love sharing stories like that with you just because not only do I enjoy telling them, but I've lived such an interesting life. I've lived in several states. I grew up in Michigan. We moved to Kentucky. I lived in Kentucky about three years, then moved to Alabama, lived in Alabama for just a little less than a year, then moved back to Michigan, where I lived a couple more years, and then finished my senior year in high school living in Iowa. And then after Iowa, I moved to North Carolina and have been here ever since. So I've bounced around quite a bit and had quite a few experiences. When I moved to North Carolina, I came here to go to Bible college, and I moved to Fayetteville, North Carolina, and attended a school. At the time, it was called Manna Christian College. It is now Manna University. And so that was 42 years ago. And at that time, I was going to school, and I would take breaks. So when I finished up the school year, man, boom, I'd hit the door. And you've heard me share a little bit about that before. I would hit the door, and I would drive back to Michigan. And of course, I always loved that to get back to northern Michigan where it was cool getting away from the North Carolina summer heat back into my beloved 72 as a high 40s and 50s at night. And of course, for me, it was dreamland beauty. Sun didn't go down till nearly 10 o'clock at night up there in northern Michigan. This was idyllic and a wonderful time. Well, one of these summers, I believe, probably had to have been somewhere around my sophomore year in college. I went home, and as I've shared before, I would work in my stepfather's body shop, and he called it Body Shop PS23. It was on Highway 23, but he named it after Psalm 23 as a way of honoring the Lord and, of course, his heart for Jesus. And and he taught me a little bit about body work. I never really was all that good at it, but I did enjoy working in the body shop and had a lot of wonderful experiences doing that. And I remember during this particular summer, one of my brothers was going to be playing football. And I had played football through high school and really enjoyed the game and was pretty successful. And I was a running back and defensive end. And so I had a lot of experience playing football in several different states under a lot of different coaches and different kinds of programs. So I took on a coaching job, which I was very excited to do during my summer there. So I would get off work a little bit early and I'd drive my brother to his practice. And of course, I would be there to oversee and help with the practices. I think the coach, I wasn't the lead coach. He made me the running backs coach, which of course I loved to do to teach these boys, you know, how to carry the ball and run. And and so in the beginning, I remember, you know, it was very like how a lot of these football camps and the early beginning of football practice would begin. There was a lot of excitement, a lot of boys show up and I could see all these dads dropping their sons off. By the way, this is middle school. I think I want to say this was around seventh or eighth grade. Just a perfect time to be working with young men playing football. I just loved every minute of it. And as the boys were being dropped off, my brother, I'm not sure what position he plays. He could probably tell me, but I, I'm pretty sure it was going to be a running back because he was very fast, very strong. And he was kind of following in my footsteps, how I used to play. And so we were having the practices. The boys were going through and they're picking out their equipment. Now, like a small town 
And back in the early 80s, the equipment was very used. It was worn out. It was old. But yet it was mixed in with some equipment. And I had been a part of a lot of programs where you would have new helmets mixed in with old helmets and pads. And it was all mixed up in such a way as you pretty much had to just go through and pick out what fit you. So there were several tables out on the side of the field that the coach had set all the equipment out. So there was going to be helmets and shoulder pads. There were knee pads and thigh pads and pants and belts and all the different things. And then, of course, jerseys to go over all of it. And so as the boys are going through, you know, they're picking out what they can. Now, the older boys and the bigger boys, let's just put it that way, were going through and they were picking out what they wanted first as they kind of muscled through the the smaller boys. And and as it went, some of the boys who may not have been expected to start or have a starting position may have ended up with subpar equipment. And well, this one particular day, and I don't know if it was the first practice, I want to say it was the second practice. In other words, this boy showed up late. So his dad drove up and dropped him off. He was a small boy. He didn't have big shoulders. He was quite a bit smaller than the rest of the young men there. I'm in ministry and I've got a heart for young men. And of course, I saw him go over to the table because the table was still out for any of the equipment. So that would have to mean this was still the first day and he just showed up late. So that's what I remember now. So there's not much left on the table. I mean, it's really slim pickings for the poor kid. So he's going down through the trying to pick it out and I see what's going on. I'm having to run the practice. And so I kind of run over there and help him a little bit. But then you know, I said, just keep looking, you know, until you get everything out. Well, once he was finished, he came over to the practice and I noticed that everything was just too big. He couldn't find anything that really fit him well. The pants were baggy. None of the pads were really in place. <laughs> the knee pads were below the knee. The thigh pads were hanging just above the knee. And then the shoulder pads, of course, were just sitting on his shoulders cattywampus. It didn't fit. Nothing fit. But worst of all, the worst part of it all was his poor helmet did not fit his head. All the good helmets were gone. And so this thing was just bouncing around his head like a bobble man, you know. And of course, I saw what was going on and I grabbed him and I tried to tighten the chin strap because sometimes you can make the helmet fit a little bit better if the chin strap is super tight and it will pull it down, you may still have a little play between the ears, but it'll be tight enough, you know, so it'll stay on your head. Well, we did our best. So he lined up with the receivers. We had the running backs broken out. You had the receivers broken out. You had linemen into three or four basic groups to start pairing the boys down to see who could play where and how they would do it. This was a very regular part of the beginning of a season like this. And so this little boy came and lined up with the receivers. And as he was running the plays, that helmet (laughs) just kept bouncing around and bouncing around. And he just couldn't see. The poor thing would run out 10 yards, make his cut. The ball would come, hit him in the head because he couldn't see the ball. And he did this two or three times. And finally, you know, I just pulled him out and I got down on one knee and the boy just burst into tears, just burst into tears. And my heart went out to him and I was like, you know, I did not want this to be a trauma. I mean, football practice and measuring yourself up against all the other boys was already a big deal for young men. Anyway, I had gone through all of that and knew the experience of having to go to a whole new school and having to test myself and my medal against all these kids who didn't know me. So my heart went out to him. And I remember just saying, you know, son, maybe this is not just going to work out for you. 
or maybe go to the head coach and let's see if we can't find you equipment that fits. And I didn't really know what to do. It really wasn't my call. But I remember I tried to talk him down to comfort him, but obviously that was going to be a very difficult thing to do considering the circumstances. Well, I'm not really sure what happened. I don't remember that the boy ever came back. I think that was his first and only attempt at playing football, at least in my tenure as a coach there. I didn't even get a chance to stick around for the games because by the time their season started, I had to be back at college. So I missed out on that part. I was only really there to prepare them. Now, I want to fast forward at least 10 years, maybe even more like 15 years. I'm now married. I've got small children. And on one of my vacations up there, we are on a boat ride. A friend of mine had a boat and they were going to take us on a boat ride. We had the day and what we would do up there in northern Michigan is there was a lake and there's these rivers that connect on either side of the lake. It's just gorgeous. If you've ever been to northern Michigan, it's just a beautiful part of the world. And we were on a boat ride on this particular day and we we're going to go up the river and just putter down the river on one of these most beautiful days. But what would occasionally happen is your boat would be pulled over by the sheriff's department to check for life jackets, making sure the boat was not overloaded. They would always check to make sure you had a fire extinguisher, so on and so forth. I'm sitting in the back of the boat and we get pulled over by the sheriff. The sheriff pulls us over. They would normally pull you over to this docking area and the sheriff's boat would be there too. And as I looked at the sheriff, I thought to myself, this man looks awful familiar. He just had a very familiar look on his face. I'd been a part of this community off and on for many years. And, and then I had one of my brothers. In fact, I had the brother with me who played football on that particular team. And he looked at me and he nudged me in my ribs. And he said, David, that is so-and-so. It was that young boy. And I remember him looking at me. <laughs> and I don't know if he remembered me. But I remember looking at him and, of course, panic going through every fiber of my body from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet, thinking to myself, dear Lord in heaven, here this young man is now a deputy sheriff with all the power to be able to make our lives just miserable. And yet he looked at us. And to this day, I don't know if he recognized me or not. But here's the thing. He knew my brother. He knew him, and he saw me sitting next to him. So in my mind, there's no way he didn't remember who I was. But he was looking at me, and I remember panicking and just thinking, man, I sure hope that I never said anything to hurt that boy or that I traumatized him in any way. And thankfully, nothing happened. He just let us go, and we went down the river. And I remember just kind of wiping my brow. Whew. But I wanted to use that story to kind of share with you about something that is very strongly biblical. And that is this idea that as believers, we're walking through life and we deal with people all the time. We're dealing with people that wait upon us in our restaurants, that check out our food when we go to the grocery store or when we're at the department store or the big box store. People that bring us our food or serve us or drop off our mail or live around us or even go to church with us. And if you go to a big church, a lot of times you may not even meet even a small percentage of all the people that go to your church. Because we interact with people every single day in all the things that we do, there's going to be a possibility that we're going to run into someone that we will meet later, which of course then makes us think about, okay, well, how are we living our lives? What have we said? What have we done? Have we gotten angry? Have we flipped somebody off in traffic? Have we beeped at somebody when we got behind them because they were going too slow? In fact, I remember one time I was late for a meeting and I had to get up super early to meet with this gentleman regarding construction. 
that was getting ready to take place at our church. I was the executive pastor. I needed to meet with him to talk about what needed to be done, the construction work. And I was a little bit late, so I was running real fast and I was going. And this guy in his truck was in front of me and he just was going slow and I couldn't get past him. I tried to pass him and I remember I'd ride up on his tail, hoping that he would go a little faster. And I'm just getting more and more frustrated. Clearly, if he looked in his rearview mirror, he could see me being flustered and my head going around and maybe my hands waving around. Well, I followed this gentleman more and more and more. And finally, we got down on the highway that led to the church. And then he actually turned down Cliffdale Road. And all of a sudden, it dawned on me, this is the man I'm actually getting ready to meet with. And sure enough, just as he got in front of the church, the blinker went off. And of course, my heart dropped into my stomach as I realized the man I was supposed to be meeting with is right there in front of me. And he's the man I have been losing my cool over. When he got out of the truck, he just smiled at me and I smiled at him. And I never mentioned a word, and nor did he. But I tell you, it taught me a valuable lesson. And that is, you know, we go through life, always we're going to reap what we sow. And sometimes we're going to reap it in the most unique ways. But when it comes to people, you know, the writer of Hebrews says there in Hebrews 13, verse 3, he talks about hospitality. And he says, you know, be hospitable. Be someone who's open to love people and to care for people and to think about what other people are going through in as much as to even open our homes. And then he says something really interesting. He says, some have entertained angels and didn't even know it. And of course, you know, that's the only place that that's really mentioned in scripture. So we have to be careful not to create some kind of a doctrine of the angels walk among us. Although I think there's enough there to be said that, well, that's a possibility. And I think anybody who calls themselves a believer would not put that out of the realm of possibilities. And so When we think about that, we think about our life. And so that brings me to really this word that I want to share with you today. And that is consequence, a consequence, a consequence of our life. Consequence is a word that just walks with us everywhere we go. And so how we treat people is, of course, how we'll be treated. And that's why the golden rule, which is why Jesus teaches us, you know, to love others as we want to be loved. I mean, it's part of the great command, right? To love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love others as ourselves. This is the high command. This is what fulfills the whole law. Now, I say this, and I'm talking about this today, because we live in a world, and we're warned in Scripture, we're warned by Jesus himself, that the love of most will grow cold towards the end. I don't know about you, but if you look around, and you can look around, and you should look around, and if you're not aware of it, then... You're either a person who just really doesn't get bugged very easily, or maybe you don't go out very much, and you don't interact with people much anymore. But if you interact with this world, then you know what I'm talking about. Matter of fact, you'll know that Jesus' words are really coming true, that people are becoming much more impatient. People are becoming pushy and judgmental and angry. And a lot of this, the enemy has been stirring up this divisiveness. And it seems like something that you could be very helpless to. In other words, how we feel at times to say, you know, I don't know how to deal with this. I don't know if I can survive living in a world with this much hatred, with this much division. And so we want, of course, to just go away, to build our homes out in the country, to order from Amazon and never go outside and hide behind our walls and doors. And it certainly is a temptation. And yet there are those who will take advantage of that. But even in the light of what Jesus is saying here, it does not ever tell us that we should back off. In other words, that we should stop trying to interact with this world and to be salt and light 
and try to win this world. In fact, we know the scripture tells us, and when we think of what Jesus' message was, he says, the kingdom of God is here. So we have, even as this world is darkening, as this world is running out of juice, it's dying. It really is, folks. It's dying. There are scientific proofs of this, and there are spiritual truths of this. There are sociological proofs that this is true. We see this. The United States is about played out. We're in so much debt that we can't comprehend how close we are to absolutely falling apart and falling into third world status. We're so close to it. There are so many warnings that are being given to us. It is crazy. There are ways to get out of it, but I won't get into that. But it really does come down to, maybe it even does get into that regarding our economy. But that is that there's really only one thing to do in all of this, and that is to move forward. And that is to fight the hate with love, to think in terms of just what impact my smile, my word of encouragement, my willingness to pray for someone by taking the time to be kind to them. You know, I've learned this and I'm learning more about this because I can be one who's short-tempered. I can be one who's impatient. I can be very hard on people when it comes to their failure to do their very best in the job that they've been given. Of course, I think in terms of my own desire to want to do the best. And if when I don't see that, I judge people by that. And of course, that can cause frustration and anger and, and maybe unkindness. But see, that will then shut the door for us having any opportunity to share the gospel with that person or to give them really a wonderful perspective of just how life can be. And so we're sowing seeds all the time. And it's probably important for us to think right now, right now, that there are going to be the little boys in our life that come across our path that are helpless. The equipment doesn't fit. And here we have a chance to possibly crush them or encourage them or to show them a little bit of kindness. In my case, here is this sheriff who could have easily just said, you know, are you that guy who did this to me and kicked me off the team or just said unkind things to me or, or said, you know, you're an idiot, you know, you shouldn't be out here or whatever. None of those things I did, of course, I was very kind to him. And it came back in the form of the lack of unkindness or whatever it was going to be that potentially this deputy sheriff could have done. When people call me, I get calls all the time for people saying, hey, would you want to come in and look at it buying a new car? And I'm like, well, no, but thank you for your call. <laughs> in other words, I'm sowing seeds of kindness, even to strangers, because I don't know who these people are. They know my name because they're looking at my name. I don't know their name, but my name may come to join a face one day. And that face joined with the name will always be associated with the last moment that I had communicated to them. This, of course, is the kingdom of God. This is about how to change this world. This is the methodology. This is the plan. That love is the only solution, folks. It's the only way because hatred's not going to do it. Anger is not going to do it retaliation is not going to do it. You know, you fight fire, you can't fight hate with hate, as Martin Luther King Jr. said. You know, Satan can't destroy Satan. And so as Jesus would say, you know, we've got to fight this with love. We've got to fight this with prayer. We've got to fight this with faith. We've got to fight what's going on in the world today. Even though we know the ship is sinking, we can save people as it goes down. We certainly can. We can throw out the lifesaver. We can say, look, I've got a lifesaver. Jump on with me. We have a savior, right? And they need to know him. They need to hear about him. A lot of people are very angry, depressed, anxious, fearful, giving into all the uh, agoraphobic issues. 
because they don't know Jesus. And here we have a solution for them. And the best way to show them is by showing the light of Christ, the love and the kindness that can come from us to perhaps even open a door to be able to share the gospel. This is the way of it, folks. This is the way the kingdom of God works. And this is the world we live in. So today, as you go out and prepare to go into the world, as the scripture says, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ, as Paul would say. Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. So your mind, your thinking, your talk, your action, your attitude, and watch an amazing difference. One, how you respond to the world, and two, watch you start stacking up opportunities to share the gospel. I promise you, you will see it. So let me pray for us and ask God to help us continue to sow those seeds. Lord, I thank you for everyone who's listening today. Lord, as we've taken a knee to listen, to be encouraged, to be built up, Lord, I pray that there would be confidence, Lord, in being loving, that, Lord, you would help us, God, to disentangle, Lord, the frustration, the anger, all that God is binding our hearts in these days, perhaps even drawing us into the hatred, Lord, and to the aggressiveness and the cold heart. Lord, warm our hearts as we're in love with you, as we're confident in your ways. God, may we continue to share them, even in the face of all the darkness. We know we'll be persecuted. Lord, we know we'll be blamed. We know that historically this is what has happened to the church. But Lord, we follow in your steps. Lord, we know this is what you endured. And because we know you endured it, you scorned the shame, and yet you were able to win a tremendous victory. May we experience the same thing, Lord, today and every day, and every day, in Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Well, folks, thanks again for joining me here on Take a Knee, and I hope to see you right back here next week. Have a wonderful time.